Hi, everyone. It's David Reardon. And today, Rob Smith and I are going to preview a little bit of what he's going to do with his power offering at the Loft event that takes place at Ken's Loft in the, in the middle of June. Um, and certainly, Rob did a piece, which we're linked to right here, where he, at the What Now conference, did a really amazing job of laying out power through all the different stages. So that's the context of this. And you can go back and if you haven't watched that before, watch it again. But what I really wanted to go through with Rob today, and we're about to do this, is just to sort of check in with him and see more personally how this is, um, you know, really affecting him like it's affecting all of us. And then a little bit of a preview of what he's going to do at the loft. So welcome, Rob. Thank you, sir. Nice to see you. Uh, and uh, hello to all the integral lifers. Uh, I hope to see you in a few months in Denver. But if not, um, nice to connect today. Well, look, let's start here. So <laughs> we certainly don't have to say, gosh, it seems like we're in a period of chaos and transition. Mm. <laughs> it's just every night on the news just leaves me breathless about, you know, all of that. And you're going to be taking participants at the Loft event into, you know, power around cultural, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I mean, around these cultural sort of happenings and how we relate to them personally and all the rest of that. Um, so generally, I mean, because people can watch the link there where you laid all this out, but, but generally when you think about power, particularly at whatever we are, the you know, postmodern to integral stage of development, you know, how do you see that showing up down the ladder and up the ladder and all the rest of that? Yeah, you had asked the question uh, earlier this week, which I thought was a good frame on it, which is how does how does our discussion on power tie into the, some of the stuff I talked about in the great release? And I think that um, I'll, I'll start there because power is really at the core of, of all of that, frankly. Um, and, you know, just a, uh, just a plug, not, not for the event, but for the topic of power. Like I get that power can seem like an abstract thing. It can seem like this concept that you kind of get, but you don't really, it's seems a little conceptual, but actually if you watch what's going on, everything we're dealing with right now is a shift in the power structures. And, and, and that was why I, I talked about the war for power, which I think you alluded to, we'll, we'll link to uh, next to this piece at the very, very highest level there is a huge power battle underway um, at the highest level of human civilization, in my view. It's, it's sort of an intense competition and power struggle going on between two very different development paths uh, for the species in the 21st century. Um, so you can sort of think of a development path as this long meta arc of, of what's happening and, and the species follows. And, and it'll become very clear when I give you the examples. So the first competitor in this is the 20th century American model. It's, it's a model of notional liberalism, notional democracy, and frankly, capitalist domination and, and in capitalist structures in the last 30 or 40 years, you know, real capital domination in particular over something like labor. Uh, the other development path is a newly emerging model of what we might call uh, a Chinese model of what we call, might call capitalist totalitarianism. And 
you know, neither at this moment, neither model is actually winning because we're in transition and they're both competing for who really sets the ground and the framework for what the 21st century looks like. Both models are flawed. Both models have contradictions within them. Both are beset by internal problems, but the winner of, of these two or, or a standoff, which I suppose is a possibility, uh, it will define the future in a really just an immensely powerful way. And the great release uh, among other things that it was, uh, what I didn't really get into is the, the, the way in which it's actually a thesis for that one of these models in particular, the, the United States and the West is having to go through a massive breakdown and reorganization in order to uh, sort of reassert its candidacy to be the development path the rest of the species follows this next hundred years like we have been the last hundred years. Because that, that, that moral leadership, that economic leadership, that political leadership is frankly gone uh, since, since the invasion of Iraq, uh, since the Great Recession of 2008, and now with the election of Donald Trump and our withdrawal, our sort of isolationist withdrawal from security and economic agreements and all these other things. But to tell you, I mean, China looks like a very attractive and they're throwing money at this to, to make sure they do. They look like a very attractive alternative to the American model of, of nexus of democracy and capital. And so the, this highest level struggle between these two development paths is pretty fascinating because it's, infu it's both informed by, but also infusing all of the, the lower order power structures that there are, media and technology and culture and jobs and you know, politics and all these other things. So um, I would say that at the highest level, that's, that's, that's the way I'm, I'm seeing this is it's kind of a, there's a battle underway for the 21st century. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, that was a nice description. Um, Cause to me there, I mean, when you, when you take those two paths as a storyteller, like I do, and one of the things that I can see about um, the qualities of, sort of the Chinese experience versus I'll just take the US as an example. And I'm not saying that these are necessarily 100% true, but these qualities are there in what we celebrate. So US celebrates the individual. I mean, and, and to a certain extent, that's been great for innovation. But sometimes the rugged individualist and all the rest of that has also causes us problems when we need to come together collectively and do something, right? We're, we're still looking for the one person that's going to do it. Whereas in China, you, you can make the argument, even though it's a very top-down sort of communistic system, is that what's valued there is this collective notion. And we see it in all kinds of things, including their art. You know, is what people are being encouraged to do is to sort of come into a hive mind with, you know, their peers. And... And that's just a different way of coming at it. Now, as they come out into the Western world, and certainly you can see this in Shanghai, and as they embrace more of sort of a capitalistic system or some of the elements of that, then you start to see individual personalities rise out of that collective pool. And then that causes them problems in a certain extent. Does that resonate with you? I mean, in terms of the qualities of those two things? Yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's, um, th there's a lot of truth to what you say that, that, that both, and, and those are some of the contradictions that each system has within it, that they'll both have to, to sort of heal, to figure out 
how they become, you know, a leading development path. And as I said, it's, it's, it's not totally mutually exclusive. Like we could be in a bipolar world for a long time where you have two just very different alternatives. Um, but there's no doubt that the America right now is suffering from what you might say is sort of the, um, uh, the, the a continued mythos of sort of individual libertarianism and, and the way in which we don't really know then what to do with debates around the safety net, for example, or some of these other things that um, are more collectivist oriented, particularly as a country becomes more and more wealthy. Like it's one thing to be quite individualist when it's 1820 and it's early in the industrial wealth generation of, of the overall world. Uh, and, and a country can't afford that. It's quite a different thing to do it in 2018, where there are, there are models all over the world about countries that take care of their own in very significant ways. And um, we are still dealing with the struggle of where the right place to set on that spectrum is. Uh, and we get, for example, the populist backlashes of, of both Trump and Bernie Sanders and even though they're at arguably opposite ends of the spectrum, frankly, they look a lot alike. And they look a lot alike because of the wealth disparities that are going on in the United States. That wealth disparity in turn rises from how much individual libertarian mythos still drives our partisan discussions. Um, and, and China has, I, I think, to some extent, the opposite problem. Like they've got some massive wealth disparity and there's a big disparity between the wealth on the coasts and in, in the, uh, the rural inner heartland of the country. Um, but they have a very collectivist culture and what they're trying to do is, is see if they can, they can intermediate on that with frankly, just totalitarian power, power of the, of the state and the central party, uh, among other things. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is going to be, um, fascinating to watch and, uh, you know, it's not the only thing going on, as, as we talked about. There's a whole power holarchy that, that, we've, uh, that we've addressed uh, in, in the other pieces. Yeah. Now, one of the things you said at the conference, which is really true, is that this, this subject of power, even for the integral community, um, it has been a thing that we've either not talked about or we find it hard to talk about, uh, because ultimately... You know, even, the, I mean, again, if we're sort of, you know, postmodern moving into integral, we're, we may still be reacting to some of the abuses of power that take place at a modern level, hierarchical systems and all that. And, and so we see that reaction, right? Um, and yet, we're trying to work things out about, you know, when sometimes when you get into postmodern circles, uh, nobody wants to take leadership and you end up in some weird sort of consensus thing that doesn't get anything done and everybody just gets frustrated. And so, um, so tell me a little bit, I mean, so for you, let's just make this more personal than, than meta. Um, I mean, power and leadership are connected and, and obviously leadership is a big category that we deal with and there's certainly lots of uh, changes going on in leadership models out there of which power is at, at, at the core of. But for you personally, um, where do you find the things that are easy to talk about, you know, power, and then other places where you realize that you've got your own constrictions about um, how you may be doing it in, in any of the venues, whether they be personal or with your family or at work or however? 
Yeah, that's a. I mean, it's it's a it's a good question. It's also very personal, so I'm happy to I'm happy to to talk about that. Um, I mean, you know, it's no secret that I was uh, I was generally conservative um, through much of the early part of my life, and and I and I actually have a lot of reverence and honor for that part of me, that part of me that believes in the individual, that believes in self determination, that is somewhat stoic about trying to face up to the decisions you make and, and the world that you make for yourself. Um, but I think that also there's a relationship to power in that that's actually quite distinct. I think your average conservatively minded person is quite sensitive to power, to any power over move. I mean, that that is one of the reasons I think they they tend to have a relationship with a state or a government that is per, perhaps more they look more askance at it than um, your average progressive. And I, and there's good reason to think that's actually brain structure, the brain structure issues, um, maybe with both neuroticism and, and openness to experience uh, in terms of the personality type structure. Um, but, uh, you know, so, so for me, I, I, I freely admit that, that I was always careful about the situations I put myself in where I was subject to power over me. Probably one of the reasons I became an entrepreneur and I sort of charted my own path and I made my own decisions. Of course, the, 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 the consequence of that is I have to live with my own decisions. I was also very clear about that. Like, if I made a mistake, it's on me. Uh, that said, I'm also very comfortable with power. Uh, I'm very comfortable as a leader with power. I'm very comfortable with hard decisions. I'm very comfortable with others' discomfort. Like there's going to be things I have to do that are power moves that are going to be, um, you know, are going to cause people at least nominal discomfort in some way, at least temporarily. And I don't relish that. That's not something we ever look for, but it is something where it is an, it is a necessity aspect of leadership. And so I think anybody who's ever run anything knows what that's like. Uh, so you have to become comfortable with 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 power uh, as such. But I do think you're right that if we now step back up to a cultural level, there is a bit of a dynamic going on right now in today's culture that that where the progressive side of the street has this real skepticism about power in any form. I mean, and I've talked about that. The power differentials are all looked at as somehow inherently evil or inherently suspect, uh, the conservatives are, I think, comfortable with power, with wielding power individually, but they're, they're uncomfortable with state-based power. And so you get these contradictions from both sides of the aisle that, that neither are, I think, particularly well examined. Because the reality is, as I, as I talked about in, in one of my pieces, you know, power is just a natural feature of the universe. You can't get two things to interact without some power function regulating what's, what's happening there in, in some way. And so I think it is a really un, under-examined aspect of our social lives that we have to become uh, more intimate with both in terms of the public sphere as well as in our own lives. Yeah, that's well said. So it's interesting. I mean, within the integral community, and of course I'm preaching to the choir, but we talk a lot about transcend and include. Um, and we say our claim is that because we can see these levels of development, both individually and culturally, that that allows us to sort out 
when something pops up in the world, we can sort of give it an identity as opposed to, well, those are either the people that agree with me or disagree with me. Nothing wrong with that, but it's sort of a limited view or, you know, it's conservative or it's liberal. I mean, again, these polarities that are easy to get into and developmental theory, obviously, um, allows us to see a higher resolution version of that. Mm. And so you can say, all right, so, you know, Trump, where's Trump operating at the moment? And I, I think that's a complex question, but you can certainly see that there are elements of, because he constantly talks about tribal and sets all those conversations up. He creates a lot of others, you know, from his world. Um, and so we see all that um, and we can understand it intellectually. I mean, and, I mean, when we do, and we can say, all right, there's a healthy and unhealthy power at red, or here's an unhealthy power at amber, whatever, all that in it green. But ultimately, um, you've helped me understand that it, it's, it's not just about seeing it. And this is a kind of what we're going to get into in the weekend about actually going into practice about this. It's not just about seeing it, but it's actually recognizing that all those power moves, whether you, you know, whether it's red or amber or modern or green or whatever, are still all a part of us and they and we know how fast they can get enacted in certain situations. Sure. So the classic one we use is I'm coming out of meditation class, I get in my car, I'm just in the zone, I'm feeling all light and love, and all of a sudden somebody cuts me off in traffic <laughs> and I go, I go bananas. Yeah. And I, I don't want to kill them, I say. <laughs> yeah. You go, oh, who's that talking? <laughs> So, I mean, for so anyway, I, I know you know all this because you've helped me, uh, you know, sort of understand that it's actually, and this is what this weekend's about, is, is to try to sink deeper than just an intellectual understanding of that, which is all very useful, but actually experience and get to, all right, so even when it's appropriate, I, there may be a time when I need to react from a red standpoint because something just needs to be taken care of and we're not going to have a consensus conversation and green about it. Uh, for whatever reason. So how, I mean, how, talk a little bit about how in your current experience of both, you know, personally and as, as you move around the world, like all of us, how you're noticing how that's influencing you one way or yeah. that, that knowledge is influencing you, I should say. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's a really tricky question because it does it at so many different levels in so many different contexts. I mean, in, in, in my social media interactions, for example, and, 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 and I, I have kind of a love-hate relationship with my Twitter account because I actually enjoy it. I, I enjoy exchanging views with people. But, you know, I, I notice the days where I'm not being very skillful and I'm just sort of reacting to something or I'm being snarky. And then there's other days where I'll just sort of as a meta perspective, I'll say, you know, really what I need to do here is I need to decrease the fear in this other person. I mean, that's kind of my primary job is I can hold a bigger container, at least I think I can, and I need to decrease their fear because if we don't get past the fear, then everybody wants to operate from power, power over, right? Power against, power, you know, power to basically get their own way and to be right and to have their self validated. And so, frankly, writ large, what's happening in a lot of our public discourse is this, this way in which we're all somewhat not being super skillful uh, at times. And in, and in other times, we are actually needing to reach out, you know, kind of uh, use just the right words or whatever to try to tamp down fear to create mutual understanding. Um, 
having said all of that, so that's in some of the, in the public interactions. And I think we could all do better, you know, at that. And I think there actually is a skill building that is going on, frankly, within American society. And it's probably going on in the other, some of the other Western societies. I mean, with what Germany's dealing with, with the rise of their far right and, and the other countries that are dealing with the rise of populism. I think there's no way you get out of like the, you, you don't get out of evolutionary jail. Like there's no, you, no one ever does really. So everybody has to deal with this world situation we find ourselves in where the world is changing. And there are a lot of different people with different views. And, and so what's happening is I think generally speaking, we are all getting somewhat slowly over time more skillful about how we kind of get back to a place of a more constructive uh, society, although it is taking time and it may take years. Um, having said all of that, I mean, from a point of view of my personal life, there's been a couple of shifts and I'll, I'll talk about this at the event and take people through some, some exercises of just looking at power through a, a, our own personal sort of hierarchy inside of us. And the first place to start is just security power. Like, do you feel safe? Do you feel safe? Do you feel secure? And, um, you know, I know you were in martial arts and my kids are in martial arts and I was, I, you know, I've, I've done a whole, whole bunch of, of training. And, and I think one of the things that, that happens is you settle a little bit more into your own body, just in a very core way to say, okay, I actually, I feel safe kind of walking around the street, assuming that, you know, there's not a mass shooting or something. I mean, which is very real these days. Um, and then the, the next layer up is, um, you know, do you have any sense of financial security about with, with all the volatility that's happening, not only from 2008 to today, but just in the world, do you have a sense of any kind of margin of safety or how you're living your life? The minimalist movement has grown up and I, you know, recently, and I think there's no, it's, it's not a, it's not a shock that that's happened because people are saying, well, maybe I could live with less stuff and maybe I could live more in a more resilient way. And I could, you know, not have a bunch of debt. So I think there's kind of a, a, a financial security or, or, or uh, sort of resilience just in terms of, your, of, of economics. And then I think there's, um, there's something about relationships and our social contracts that, you know, are we in spots either in terms of our jobs or um, our, our relationships, our intimate relationships where power is being, um, being transacted in ways that aren't, you know, that aren't clean? Are we being honest about our, um, our own, our own drives or, you know, are we being candid and clear in our communication and, and that kind of thing? Uh, and, and particularly, frankly, I mean, even if that sounds a little bit Pollyannish and sounds maybe a little bit out of date, I mean, think about me too. And think about the, think about the underexpressed power drives and the lack of communication that's driving so much of the carnage that's happening in sexual relations and, and, and sort of the mating market. And, and so this becomes a really real thing, like getting in touch with your own, your own communication and candor and, 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 and having that, you know, what some people might say is ontological hygiene in your relationships is, is critically important. Uh, the next layer up is mental. Uh, you know, can I understand the world? So it doesn't feel like it's power over me because I'm just confused by it. And this is a lot of work that we've done at Interval Life, of course is trying to help people understand mentally what's, 
what's going on. Um, just so you can, I mean, it's very hard for something to have full power over you if you understand what's happening. Um, it's just very liberating. And so I think that's the fourth component. And the fifth component is spiritual. I mean, at the highest level of the, of the stack, are you in practice in a way where you're continuing to maintain your freedom through non-attachment, presence, and as we released a piece earlier this week about cosmic integrity, like do you, do you stay in your cosmic integrity? And I think that sort of personal praxis of, of, a, of a stack of different levels of relationship to, to our different needs and different powers is, is really important. And there's probably others. And I look forward to, you know, learning from, from, from some of the other folks at the event too. Yeah. Yeah. And then the X factors in all of that, which, you know, we just, we, we see them as these things come up and we have some habitual reaction to something. We're not even, we may not even be aware of why we're having it. I mean, in a certain way. So one of the ones that we've talked about a lot is, uh, and that Ken has pointed out in a lot of the post-truth things, is that, you know, whereas postmodern brings in all these sensitivities and includes all these people that weren't included before, and that's a good thing. That's, its, that's its, one of its positive contributions to the culture. Taken too far, we can see, and particularly on college campuses is the one a lot of people talk about these days, is that the notion of being politically correct, if it, is, if it is taken too far, actually can end up in levels of fascism. I mean, it's just an odd, it's an odd paradox. And it's sort of, but I mean, basically if you're saying like your concept of, I love the way you laid it out in terms of safety. And we've heard these stories. So if college students are saying, I'm gonna make a big generalization here, but let's just say, this is a story that's out there. Um, I'm, I'm feeling unsafe because there were uh, topics presented here that don't meet my understanding of things. Yep. And, any, and then, you know, Ken has said it, you've said it. It certainly has been my experience. Well, college is actually supposed to be one of those places where you take what you know and feel safe with and stretch you. Now, it doesn't mean you have to agree with it, yep. but it stretches you to consider other things. And and you, so if we're taking that element out of education and you're saying, I only want to hear things that I'm in my safe zone about, if you take that far enough, you start, at least, you start to say, well, then you can't use certain words and you can't use certain people and you can't do this and that. And then all of a sudden, you don't have an alt-right version of uh, constriction. You've got a progressive version way out on the edge that starts to feel like fascism to me. Right. And this is just a, this is a, a failure of, of that particular school of thought to really face its own internal philosophical contradictions. You cannot found a, an entire political philosophy on a notion of subjectivity, meaning if I feel aggrieved or I feel threatened, it's therefore your power move or your threat to me that's, 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 that's by force doing that. You cannot found a rational philosophy in pure subjectivity uh, because you end up with solipsism. And so it's, this is, I mean, it's, it's, it's a fairly well understood problem with just, you know, a little bit of reflection, but there is a, there is a real knee jerk, non-critical, uh, non-critical uh, unreflectiveness that's, that's happening where again, it's power. It's that green power to convene I talked about, that real 
I'm uh, that real emergent of, you know, if we can convene the mob, if we can convene the mob and sort of galvanize its attention uh, in convening it, then we can also maybe use the power to contract to put people out of business. Now we can boycott stuff. Now we can shut down people's careers. And, you know, to be clear, there are, there are some people that are crossing the line and committing illegal acts or dramatically unethical things where, you know, their career, their job should end and, and they need to go sort that out. But the idea of, you know, rallying masses simply because we do not like the directionality or the surface values being expressed is, is actually deeply problematic. It's deeply fascistic, as you say, it's totalitarian. And it is one of the contradictions of green that we'll have to get worked through. Yeah, yeah. So it's really easy for us to see it, particularly when the news pounds us day after day, if we pay attention to it in whatever way we do, um, that you can see all the issues. Um, but I know we always like, and you in particular, and this is what we're going to get into it in the weekend is, you know, where can we find hope in all of this? Um, because it can be deadening uh, to the point that you just, you know, you basically just pull yourself out of the conversation, stop engaging just because it's too painful. Um, so for you, you laid out at the beginning, you know, sort of these two big meta views, which I think is a really interesting way to take a look at you know, what is trying to emerge? And the big X question is, is it going to be one of those or is it going to be even some new third force that combines elements of those things together? Um, so for you and, and over the weekend, um, what would you hope that if people do come to the loft event that, that they would go, that we're, what we can point out and in you in particular, what you can point out in you that feels hopeful and that hopefully that they would then take that home and say, now I can start to process and manage a lot of this stuff that's coming at me, um, but not get so overwhelmed by it that I either get depressed or withdraw. Yeah, that's great. It's, um, it's, it's a really good, it's a really good um, I think, question and, and objective for us. Is, and, and my hope is that we all walk out of the room feeling like we are more equipped in that way. I think thinking through What's actually happening, as I said, is quite liberating. Getting a more clear-eyed view of what's actually happening is quite liberating because then you can have some understanding and you can say, okay, well, now that I have a better, clearer view of what I think's going on, I can actually make some concrete decisions about my own life, my own resources, my own time, my own commitments, um, and my own practice, frankly. Like, what do I need to practice into? As I said, I already brought up one thing on this discussion, one of the things that, that I've found I, I, I want to practice into. I'm trying to be more skillful at helping to alleviate others' fear when I encounter it rather than just sort of dominate them uh, with the better argument or whatever, um, because that's just an important thing that I think we're all going to have to learn. So there's a bunch of those items. There's a bunch of those skills and a bunch of those practices. And um, views that I think we will come out of the weekend uh, with and having discussed. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And, and frankly, I am. I'm actually very, very optimistic. As I, as I mentioned in my keynote a few months ago, I really am optimistic. It's an amazing time to be alive. There is an extraordinary amount of change. But a lot of this is happening for a reason. It's happening because 
the the material progress is so high and because so much so many things are happening that are good you know nominally good they're also producing these really crazy side effects and things that we're not really equipped yet to manage as a species and that's what we're having to learn to do and guess what you know it's it's not my mom and dad that are going to do it it's it's me it's you it's it's the people alive right now like we can't look to churchill and fdr i mean they've already had their run like it's our time right now to do this and to then pass that on to the up and coming generation my kids and you know your kids and what have you so um this is it and i and that that to me is uh it's exciting but it's also it's a responsibility like it's a responsibility to show up and do the work and put in the energy that's necessary to um to make sure this goes as well as we as 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 it as it can so rob that's great and and one of the things that we see about the loft event in the this particular configuration that this big subject of power and leadership that we're going to cover is actually going to be a very small intimate group and so with ken and you and jenny and and uh, uh keith and plus a small group and i'm always amazed uh, about how much talent there is in the integral life audience and those folks will be showing up so um if there's any notion about uh thinking that you want to come and have a very intimate conversation about all these issues as it relates to power certainly the loft event is going to be that place in the middle of june and then the last thing i want to say is um you know we have to recognize that this is a this is a you know a bunch of money to come to this thing but you've, you you know you've always said some things about integral life so let me just ask you in terms of how you hold this event if people are thinking about you know spending this kind of money what it actually supports within the integral life uh, community yeah thank thank you for asking um I, I had several people come up to me after what now when i when i said some similar things and i think they were somewhat surprised because i probably don't say it enough but it's true that integral life has never really been run exactly like a business from the beginning. We, we break even, we, we, uh, we reinvest everything we've got uh, into, the, into the community, into the company in order to help it uh, support the growth of integral ideas, uh, a, both an ethical and critical view of using integrative meta theory, which is what integral philosophy is, to inform our lives, uh, to support our communities, our, our countries, and our world. And we do that through the support of our members. So if our membership grows, it really goes back into the company to, uh, and, and into the community to, produce, to continue to proliferate with, with um, you know, expanded content, um, you know, some of the other efforts that we have going on and some of the verticals that will uh, roll out this year. Uh, and some of the other, other projects we have going on. So that only happens because uh, those of us who can afford it uh, show up and, and support it. So we're, we're deeply appreciative of those people. And for those who can't, that's fine too, because we will package it up as media and we'll make it as available as we can to uh, continue to support those folks. And the last thing I'd say is that I have several lifelong friendships that grew out of last year's event of just amazing people, amazingly talented uh, leaders from all over the world. 
And I, I, I'm continuing to be humbled and blown away by the amount of talent and consciousness and heart that the people in the integral life community have. It is, and I'm a no BS guy, as I think people will say. I wouldn't have said this 10 years ago because I didn't have the authority to say it. And I do have the authority today. These are extraordinary people. And uh, they have my full support in any way they need it at events like this to help them with their own projects in the world, which is also another thing we end up talking about a lot during these weekends. So I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Well, thanks, Rob. And it is going to be, um, these things are always, I feel the same way about it, is that we, you meet people there that um, you end up having long conversations and relationships with. So thanks for sharing a bit of, of uh, not only your perspective, but then what you're going to bring to the event. And for everybody out there watching this, we hope that if you have the means that you'll actually join us because I don't think you're going to want to miss it. It's going to be a, a really cool thing in the middle of June. Thanks, everybody.